listening to the Small Town Queer podcast produced by Tweed Regional Museum in northern New South Wales, Australia. Follow us as we uncover and explore Tweed's rich queer history from the early 1900s to the present. The museum has collaborated with LGBTQIA community members to collect, share and preserve the histories of Tweed's many and varied queer voices. to recognise the generations of local Aboriginal people of the Bundjalung Nation who are the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we are recording this podcast today. My name is Emma Shield. And my name is Erica Taylor and we are the curators of the Small Town Queer Digital Project and Exhibition. Hello. On today's podcast, we are talking to couple Jessica Walker and Carmen Stewart. Carmen and Jessica met 26 years ago in Brisbane when they were both working for the Catholic Church. Jessica is a child and family worker and Carmen is a consultant supporting community services. The couple moved to the Tweed Shire in 2000 where they currently reside with their two children. Welcome Carmen and Jess, thank you for joining me. Um, and joining us for the museum's first ever podcast series. Thanks, Thanks. So we really thank you for joining, um, participating in Small Town Queer. It's our LGBTQIA plus project, and we're really proud to be running it and doing this podcast. And we'd like to ask you both how you identify as a small town queer. I identify as a lesbian. And often I don't identify in any way, but uh, I would personally identify as being bisexual, although I'm in a committed lesbian relationship and have been for 26 years. And I guess you both live in one of the small towns of the Tweed Shire. And we do, <laughs> yeah. we do. We're here in Mwoolumba. And so can you tell our listeners, um, let's start kind of at the start of the both of you, where, where you met and how that happened and where you were... Well, um, I'd moved up from Melbourne in um, 1992 and started a um, started volunteering at St Vincent de Paul in the youth office. I came up as part of an intentional community called Companions Volunteer Community that was auspiced by the Sisters of Mercy and the Jesuit Brothers, and part of it was to work um, in an area of justice, and that's where Carmen and I met. Carmen was the state youth representative she was the big honcho and this was in brisbane this was yeah. in brisbane in the valley in 1992 so it started as a working relationship really mm. we were both in volunteer capacity working in youth projects really around a house housing project for homeless young people that we connected over mm. And uh, we started off as friends. We were mm. friends for quite a few years working together. We lived together in community, which was probably the beginning of our relationship. We lived uh, at St Mary's, which was an intentional community in South Brisbane. And we lived there together with another woman, Jenny. And uh, that was really the flourishing of our friendship, which triggered into a relationship the day I left the country to go overseas with my boyfriend. <laughs> complex. <laughs> which was complex and interesting. Sorry. Well, interestingly, I suppose we were living in an intentional community that was attached to the Catholic Church, but it was a very, um, it was a very progressive left wing. It's now since been in exile and it's been kind of, you know, separated from the Catholic Archdiocese in Brisbane. Um, so there was never any, never any um, issue within that community about being in a relationship. 
there was never any um, issue with our friends about us being in a relationship. There was a bit of family issue, and that would have come from, you know, Carmen's family with their mm. deep, or her mum's deep-rooted Catholicism. Yeah. Yeah, but otherwise, so that would have been the place where there would have been some um, pushback, would have been within my family, which did for years actually, we left Brisbane, well I left Brisbane actually when Jess and I entered a relationship and went and lived away from my family to be away from that influence uh, and that took a few years to heal but um, several years later my mother had a shift uh, and uh, you've pretty much been friends since and we never spoke about the period that uh, she didn't accept Jess but eventually things healed there. But being part of the church, as Jess said, because we were part of St Mary's, it was always very accepting of everyone's experience of life. And interestingly, when we were both working in the youth office for St Vincent de Paul, of the five people that worked there... Uh, four turned out to be gay. Yeah, four were gay. <laughs> Everyone thought they were straight at the time, but they pretty much worked it out. Oh. A little while. <laughs> very accepting. <laughs> And so how did you end up in the Tweed Shire? Well, we had had a few years of both of us living independently overseas and then back together in Melbourne uh, for a couple of years back in Melbourne. And then Carmen's mother became unwell and lived in Brisbane. And we decided that it would be a good opportunity to move back up this way without living in Brisbane. And we'd had a holiday up here. Um, maybe the year prior, in the late 90s, we'd had a holiday up here and we just fell in love with this region and we thought, well, if we're going to have a, a shift and a change, we didn't want to move to Brisbane, let's have a look around here. And I'd always had a very strong connection. I used to go to Numanbar Valley regularly in my 20s that I really wanted to come and live here one day, so it was very much in the pipeline. It just took 20 years to do, or, fi- or 10 anyway, it took a good 10 years to do. So lots of our participants in the project have kind of that same feeling. They move here because it's a feeling. It feels good mm. here and healthy mm. healthy here. And it's, it's just a really nice thread throughout everyone. And so what was the experience like when you moved from, from a city to, to the region? Beautiful. We actually moved from inner city Melbourne, which we loved, um, stimulating you know, culturally, it was an area that was very embracing. We lived in Thornbury, which had lots of lesbians, very embracing of everyone and difference. We moved uh, eight kilometres down a dirt road in Chillingham at the end of Hopkins Creek Road, and we just fell in love, didn't we? I didn't leave the house nearly for six months. Jess went out to work, and I actually spent the first six months not working, and I think I just looked at, um, went crystal hunting in the river each day in the Upper Tweed, and just fell in love. We we really went from one extreme to the other because we were so isolated, eight, eight kilometres down a dirt road. Mm. Uh, had lots of issues with floods, with snakes, mm. with nature. Mm. Um, so we got the full experience. We didn't realise that houses on creeks flooded or any of those <laughs> things before we moved. We were incredibly naive and um, got the lot in the first three years that we were uh, at the end of... Um, Hopkins Creek Road. It's a crash course and living in the tweed. <laughs> That's right. And there was one house above us and they certainly knew that we were a couple and were very accepting of that. Um, and I guess quite a few people along the road did. But I remember one um, somebody stopping me on the road on one sa- stage saying, oh, you know, welcome, Dada, we heard you've moved in. 
and I said something about my partner and they're like, oh, so what business do you have together? And they, you know, they obviously assumed partnership was a business partnership, not a relationship partnership. And I think I just fumbled, so, oh, we're working in community and just drove off. <laughs> I was unsure how that was going to be received. But certainly going down into the village, we felt very accepted in our part of the road, but we didn't necessarily feel so accepted in the village of Chillingham back in the early 2000s. There was a real, and I'm, and I'm not saying that that's what it's like now, but that general store had um, very much a... Different culture different that probably culture. wasn't embracing of, of lesbians us. initially. <laughs> yeah. And you moved into town at some stage? We did. We went from living in uh, Chillingham for several years until the floods got too much. I nearly got us drowned one day and we both decided that was it. We couldn't do it anymore. Uh, so we ended up at Hastings Point. We went to the coast for a few years, which was fantastic. We loved it. We lived at the beach. Uh, we went from there to Stoker's Siding, again for a village experience, living in the main part of the village. So we went from being isolated to coastal, to living in a village, to having our first child and going, oh, we're spending a lot of time in the car. So we decided to come into town and we arrived in town in 2010. Mm. So arrived here in 2000, got to town in 2010. I should mention it's Moorlambach. <laughs> People yes. Won't know what town. <laughs> um, 2010. So you've got two children now. Um, and so, what's it been like raising a family as a lesbian couple in a small town? I was thinking about that before, and I was remembering. Um, so Rosie, our daughter, she was born first, and there was almost a sense when she, when I was, I've carried Rosie when I was pregnant with Rosie, and when she was born felt like there was even a little bit of um, town ownership <laughs> over her and us as a family. And I guess some of that came because our, uh, the children's father, his wife, uh, worked at the hospital in the emergency department and was very connected in the medical world. So ambulance, staff, GPs, everyone was very much connected to the local hospital um, back in 09. And we were connected in this town and so it was kind of wherever we went people were like oh my goodness is that Rosie is you know you've had a baby and people seemed to know a lot about our story that we didn't know and I remember feeling very overwhelmed at that stage and thinking I just want to run away with Carmen and Rosie and be really anonymous for a while. We, we experienced it really as a bit of positive discrimination. You don't like that term, but that no. was my experience of it. It was like, oh, okay, this is what it's like where people actually go out of the way to make you feel like it's okay. Uh, yeah. Whereas you're kind of like, I, yeah, as Jess said, I don't know you um, in some cases to people who were stopping us and wanting to uh, check out our new baby. Yeah. But uh, certainly have never experienced anything negative. Our children go to a Catholic school now. I've never experienced um, discrimination, except possibly we felt a little bit of it at the time of the uh, vote for same-sex marriage. Marriage equality. Mm. Yeah, how, so how did that, that time when the plebiscite was, you know, the vote was mm. happening, what was happening in your world at that, at that time? Well, it became a really, well, as we know, it became a big public debate. And so people were debating the state of our relationship and 
And it didn't just focus, like people weren't debating just a marriage. They were debating family life. They were debating the rights of children, whether you know, they should be in same-sex relationships. They were debating you know, how we live as a family. And that was really uncomfortable. And I think it was um, uncomfortable for certainly our eldest daughter for a while there. She really got a bit confused with why people were even debating this. Although she was strong, and that was, mm. I actually think, if anything, and we went down to Sydney at the time, mm. and she was so excited to see all the flags flying in local government areas, uh, that I think for us, our point of, we did have a bit of a bump. The school sent a letter home from the Archdiocese just reminding families of the Catholic Church's stance on same-sex marriage. Mm. And it was kind of like, our children go to your school. What do you mean you're sending that letter home? Uh, so that was a bit of an experience for us. Um, and, but otherwise, it was largely positive. But there was some stuff on social media. Mm. But there is an element in mm. local small towns that I think happens everywhere. There's a certain element that's always going to be there. And there was a lot of talk of um, heterosexism, I think they were calling mm. it, uh, whereas the poor heterosexuals were uh, having a hard time and... Uh, experiencing discrimination that everyone else was being so open so you know I saw some of that stuff and a bit of nasty stuff around trying to find out who paid for the banner across the bridge that encouraged you know voting in favour of same-sex marriage people would it was Mm. a bit of a nasty element wanting to hunt down who was behind the support of same-sex marriage in our town Mm. but that disappeared the vote came and went and all of that disappeared and have never seen that, what I would say, the ugly face of that again. Mm. Well, that's, yeah, that's a good thing, isn't it? It's, um, it, it touches on that awful all lives matter thing, doesn't it? Yeah. It's, it's really, really yucky. Um, it's ugly, I think. It's ugly. ugly. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're, we're interviewing the people responsible for the banners across the mm. roads for our podcast so people can hear that story on another mm. podcast and it's a great... A great story, but it's a, it's a hard and that time left scars for people. We, un, mm. we, we understand that and there's, you know, a little bit of trauma left over from, as you were saying, having people judge whether your family should be as it is. Mm. Um, so quite awful. And the other thing is that then everyone made an assumption that because marriage equality came in that we would be jumping at the idea to get married. So there wasn't actually, um, it was like, well, you know, we've let you get married now, why aren't you? It's like, oh, marriage is a much bigger conversation than than somebody saying, okay, you're allowed to now. For us, you know, I think for me, mm. there's a whole lot of history around marriage that, you know, I'm not really wanting to engage in at this point. Yeah. So do you describe your family as a rainbow family? Do you no. have any thoughts on that term? No, not a term... I don't put any labels or talk about any labels in our family because, I don't know, probably due to the history of, you know, stigma being attached to things. So, yeah, we've never really used any language Mm. and um, we're very much into normalising our family, not in any way trying, particularly for our children's wellbeing, not to suggest any difference although they're certainly aware of it. Um, our daughter would be more than our... Our daughter has a very strong sense of social justice, which I think partially comes from being in a same-sex family. 
even though she's experienced no discrimination, she's always aware of injustice anywhere. Our son at this stage, and uh, he's a bit oblivious actually, whether he's in a same-sex family or he doesn't ever talk about it, he's never... It's like it hasn't even appeared to him that his family is different to anyone else's, which is good. Yeah. But he does know all of the, um, the terminology for LGBTIQ. They were telling me the other day what every letter stands for. So they know what that all is about and that they know that, you know, people see sometimes that as different than other. So he does have that, that sense, absolutely. And how... Um so just recently the Catholic, the Pope declared support for same-sex relationships, was it? Mm. And mm. has that had any impact on either yourselves or your, your children at school? I, I've personally felt good about it, actually, and um, wanted to have... And I did start to have a discussion with our daughter about it and would like to have more of a discussion about that. That, to me, felt... Even though it wasn't saying we should get married... It was an endorsement, you know, more or less of who am I as the Pope to judge anyone. Uh, It seemed quite significant to me. What seemed significant, actually, is that my mother told me about it. And my mother uh, still carries a lot of baggage. And for her to name it, it felt a little bit healing further of my relationship with my mother, who really, at some level, has never accepted us. Uh, So that was kind of like, okay, well, there you go, Mum. The Pope said it's all right, so hopefully. And you're telling me... (laughs) can't argue with the Pope, surely. <laughs> <laughs> you can't argue with the Pope. And I guess for me too, it's not so much about whether the Pope validates our relationship or not. That doesn't faze me one way or another. I have no interest in what he thinks of us. But what I do, what I am very aware of, is other children that are growing up and that are starting to question their sexuality and starting to you know, have conversations with family members that that's actually going to have more of an impact, that they feel that they've got more of a platform to be saying hey, there's people in in high places that think that this is, you know, really okay. And so, you know, I feel safer to be able to say who I am. So I'm always thinking about, you know, I think we've done our part around coming out and being who we are and navigating that, but there's still so many young people that are still trying to even find words around that and trying to find their own identity. And that's where my interest is around the bigger picture. Yeah, and I guess it goes a little step towards creating a safe space to, for young people to explore who they are. You know, even the little thing of you know, having a letter sent home when, that, when the marriage of Polly from the Catholic school, like maybe that won't happen again now. Yeah. You know? It's... Yeah, absolutely. And I find it, you know, of interest to me, Erica, thinking I'm, I always think ahead and I'm thinking ahead and going, well, you know, imagining people in the future listening to this. And probably thinking, going, really? Was there a time they said no, that they scorned it in some way? That Because I can just foresee the fact that the Pope has taken that step. It says to me, well, where are we heading around acceptance and tolerance and what does it mean for youth mental health, etc., and young people who are coming out and how mm. they feel about themselves? Mm. Um, I imagine a lot of the stigma gone in the future. Yeah, absolutely. It touches on, you know, why we it's important we're doing this project as well to really collect their past history but contemporary history mm. because it otherwise it's not recorded and it is lost and no one 
can get that idea of what it was like 100 years ago for someone who was LGBTQI plus or, you know, working and living in those spaces. So mm. it's important to do these, these projects. Yeah, because I think it's an interesting time because as much as we haven't experienced discrimination, really, living in a town, I would be aware that we are certainly on a cusp of moving to further and further acceptance and normalising, but I'm still aware there's a lot of young people who are identifying, particularly, you know, uh, young males, I think, have a harder time than young women. Um, there's always been more of a, a history of, I don't know, violence around mm. young men and their identifying, you know, a, a loathing that that still is there. So even though we're on the cusp mm. of change, that I'm still aware we are still very much where it's a big thing for someone's well-being and identity to start to think at the age of 14, 15, whatever, oh my God, I could be gay. So we're still in that, even though as adults we're experiencing something different. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And even, you know, I think trans, young trans people, mm. we have an even harder time mm with that and a lot you know there's also intersections of you know masculine tox toxicity mm. plays into that as well mm. um did you keep that letter that the catholic church uh, the school sent home about no and it, they didn't send it in a hard copy oh, it was it, email, was, it was an attachment through the school's um platform uh seesaw so it wasn't or the i can't remember what it was the platform but it wasn't a hand thing and it was something that you had to click on to actually read. And I believe in good faith that the reason our school did that was that it wasn't something that they believed, but it was a directive from the diocese that they had to. So I know other schools that people have said that they were printed out and hand given. So that's the flip of that. I like to think that there was a little flip side of that. And I know some people went up and spoke to the principal of the school and said, hey, this doesn't fit within um, our, our, uh, our beliefs, our values, our structures of families. Uh, to be given something like this, it's, it's awful and we want no part of that. And um, he said, okay, it, it hasn't come from us as a school executive, it's come from the diocese. You, either of you have advice for other you know, LGBTQI plus couples and parents, particularly parents who live in regional areas, who may be listening to the podcast? I think for me, the biggest part is, um, is the relationship within your own family and how you build up the conversations within your own family with your own children so that it isn't seen as we are so different from others. It's seen as this is who our family is. Every family is made up um, quite differently in some ways. But I wouldn't want our children to experience um, some blatant discrimination because of their family and not have their own experience to be able to come back to and not be able to even have their own story, their own narrative or their own sense of belief of who they are in their family. So for me, it's very much about building the strength within your own family because that's the one thing that we can have some control. We don't have necessary control over what other people think of. So it's about building the strength with them 
that's what I would be saying. And look, I just think um, having a, let, let's call it a rainbow family in a small town, particularly the town we've chosen, Mwilumba, uh has largely been absolutely positive, as I said, embracing um, that I don't necessarily know that I have advice beyond being aware one of the decisions we did make early on and I don't know if that's because of our background in having grown up in an age where there was stigma. You know, we're, we're both 50 now, but we grew up in a time when there was stigma for being gay and lesbian. So we made a certain assumption and chose to put our children in a K-12 school so that they had children at a young age and knowing that young children are more accepting. And so they've entered school with peers who've gone, you've got two mummies. Oh, how did you get two mummies? And then it's become normalised. So those kids know from an early age that Joe and Rosie have two mummies. They're not going to school in grade seven changing schools when all of a sudden there might be some derogatory language around that. Mm. You're You're the son of lesbians. Oh, you queer? That, that was our worries, right, that we entered mm. school with, which was very interesting for me because I was very surprised that we sent our children to Catholic school as the lesbians, but it was the K-12 option. And that to us felt like a safe pathway mm. Mm, for children. Yeah. yeah, that could be you know, good advice for other people who are about to experience it or, or going through it. So what, what are you guys working on now? What's, what's next? What's coming up? Well, I'm just starting a small initiative here in this community around um, the experience of being a mother. So I'm bringing some uh, mothers together uh, with one of our local artists, Beck, to do some weaving and make a small basket. And within that, to have some conversations around the inter... Um, interwoven relationships between mothers and children so it's about the relationship that is being formed and how that is and it's about the connection that mothers are having with their babies and their children to strengthen those relationships so their children will have greater opportunities to go on and have healthy loving relationships in their life and so that's one of the things that I'm working on outside of my normal work life. And I'm still moving Erica with It Takes a Town which is a project I'm quite passionate about and uh, that so do you want to give just sure. give people a little a little rundown on what it takes town sure. is look it's all around growing a culture of trust generosity and responsiveness uh, in particular at the moment the focus of the funding is in order to create opportunities for children to thrive uh, we have one in three local children growing up in poverty which is quite high but my real interest And where we're morphing into is it takes a town to adapt. And it's actually saying, look, a culture that supports us all, a culture where there is trust, generosity, we've got each other's backs, we know how to respond, is really important at this point in time when we're looking at being in a climate emergency. And um, we need to get the culture of community strong in order to respond in ways that are life-giving. So I'm particularly interested Uh, in community culture and I'm very fortunate to have received funding to do that work but 
I get to experiment and um, particularly interested in how we grow people's permission and confidence to act on behalf of community. And it's such a lovely project and it's, it's so lovely you know so many people who it's intersected with in the community and, and who are involved. Uh, and so um, best of luck for your Thanks, upcoming Sarah. projects. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for sharing your small town queer stories with us today. Um, and yes, I'm sure people, people will see you out and about and involved in your various projects and all the things you do. Um, and thank you again. Thanks, Erica. Thanks for Thanks having us. Thanks to the museum. Thank you for listening to the Small Town Queer podcast. To hear more Small Town Queer stories, subscribe to the series and like, share and review this episode. And check out the Small Town Queer playlist on Spotify, curated by museum staff and project participants. For more information about Small Town Queer, visit museum.tweed.newsouthwales.gov.au forward slash small hyphen town hyphen queer. Tweed Regional Museum is supported by the New South Wales Government through Create Funding New South Wales. This project would not have been possible without the support and collaboration of the people of Tweed who have generously shared their lived experiences, archives and objects with this project.